Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Today is Saturday, November 26, 2022, Thanksgiving weekend. We are broadcasting live from the northwest side of the city of Chicago. I certainly hope you had a good Thanksgiving with family and or with your friends. We were certainly very blessed in my family. We had a wonderful time together. So a little shout out there to the hosts for, for that wonderful time. And thank the Lord. Uh, we certainly have so much in this country to be so thankful for. So we do uh, praise the Lord and thank him for all his blessings on us in this country. So let's, let's begin this morning with uh, a little bit of prayer. Father, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all your blessings, all your mercy upon us uh, in our daily lives, in uh, our Christian life, allowing us to know you and to serve you. And uh, for all your blessings and your mercy upon this country, again, we thank you. We lift up our time today to you for the utterance, for the way to speak forth your word, shame the enemy, even uh, bind the authority of the air that your truth, your word would go out through the airwaves here in Chicago this morning and some would hear and respond to your word for your sake and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a question for you this morning to consider, and uh, which is basically what we're going to be considering on the program today. And that is, what will be the fate of those who never have the opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior? Are they automatically going to be damned to the lake of fire for eternity? Well, that's what, that's what some Christians teach. They feel that's what the Bible teaches based on, on uh, their understanding of the gospel. And other people hear that and they feel, well, if, if that's what the Bible teaches, that's not right. That's not moral. That's not fair. How could, how could God possibly be just uh, if he just automatically sends people to hell and they never had a chance to even believe and be saved? That's not fair. So this is, this is a, a serious moral objection to uh, what some people understand the Bible to teach. And I want to say, first of all, that that's certainly not what I believe. I don't uh, believe the, the Bible teaches that, and that's what we want to be getting into a little bit later on in the program. You know, in the past couple of weeks, we dealt with a scientific objection to believing in the Bible, and that has to do with the teaching some Christians have that according to the Bible, the earth is 6,000 years old. And we presented the strong evidence in the Bible that that is a false teaching. It's not true. The Bible does not teach that the earth is 6,000 years old uh, because there's a gap in Genesis chapter 1. And if you haven't listened to those programs, I encourage you to go back and, and take the time to listen to them. I think you might find them very helpful in that regard. So this morning we want to deal with this moral objection to uh, believing in the Bible. And that's this view that, uh, that the Bible teaches that uh, if you don't believe in Jesus, uh, you automatically go to hell. Now, uh, and as I say, I certainly don't believe that. Now, I want to be clear when I'm saying uh, that's different from people who reject Jesus as their Savior. I'm not talking about those people. Uh, and before we get to that teaching, to, de to dealing with that teaching, I'm going to be spending some time strongly affirming some of the basic principles of the gospel. Because when some people hear me say this, they're going to say, oh, you must be a modernist. Uh, you don't really believe God is a God of judgment, or maybe you're a universalist. You believe everybody eventually is going to be saved. And no, I don't believe those things. I'm very fundamental uh, in my understanding of the gospel and in, ter in terms of its basic principles. So I want to affirm that very strongly before we get to dealing with that teaching. But before even doing that, I just, I just had some feeling this morning to 
uh, speak a word of, of introduction, which has to do with how we as believers in Christ follow the Lord, and very specifically, how we come to the Bible. Because the reason why we're doing these programs is to help us as believers in Christ have a stronger grounding in the Christian faith so we can meet the need of this age. It is not enough simply to say, well, I just believe what the Bible says and that's enough for me and I don't understand it uh, and that's good enough. Well, if you have that kind of a view of uh, how you need to deal with the Bible, you cannot meet the need of this age. In the past few years, I just had a strong feeling that as the believers in Christ, we need to up our game. We need to up our game. The uh, the age is becoming so dark and there's so much more uh, antagonism toward the Bible and toward the Christian faith and toward faith in Christ that we have to know how to meet the need of the age that we live in. And for that, we must have a much stronger grounding in the Bible than we do as believers in Christ. And, and that's really the burden why we, one of the main burdens we had in starting to do this program in general. We just wanted to help Christians have that grounding. You know, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, uh, the Apostle Paul says that in the end times, people are going to heap up to themselves teachers tickling the ear. And it is really so. There's so much teaching out there today, sorry to say, which is just has so little value. There's no depth to it. And we're hoping, endeavoring, as the Lord enables us to uh, speak a word that's... Uh, that is more in-depth. And it's a little bit harder to get into. I appreciate that. These weren't, you know, what we shared these past couple of weeks were not things that are on the surface of the Bible, but they're there. But you have to dig a little more deeply to really find them. And that's what we're, and this morning, that's the same thing. We're going to be doing the same thing, trying to dig a little more deeply. But as Christians, that's what we need to do. You know, if you've been listening to this program, you'll hear me refer to uh, the writings of G.H. Pember. Uh, I've received a great deal of help from him recently. And uh, as I've been getting into uh, uh, biblical prophecy in particular, he has a four-volume set of biblical prophecy. And uh, he starts out that set with this statement, which I think is very good. He says, The supreme God has deigned to give revelations whereby he seeks to, to communicate his purposes to man, and thus by a gentle process bend their minds to his mighty and irresistible will. Nevertheless, myriads of professing Christians are content to reach the end of life in total ignorance of these gracious disclosures, while accredited ministers of Christ are too frequently unable to expound them. And he was writing in, uh, that, that book was published in 1887. The situation is even worse uh, since his time. He's saying Christians, they simply don't pay adequate attention to the divine revelations we have in the scriptures. You know, the writer of Hebrews in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verses 1 and 2, and I certainly believe this, this is the Apostle Paul, but we'll just say the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2. He, he wants the Christians to go on in their following of Christ, in their uh, knowing of Christ. And so he exhorts them. He says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Well, 
Pember has a very good comment about this, this, these verses. He says, again, this is in 1887, we may observe from this list that it contains nearly all the doctrines ordinarily heard from our pulpits. And he's exactly right when you look at that. We need to repent from dead works. We need to have faith toward God. You need to get baptized. There's going to be a resurrection of dead and eternal judgment. Basically, that's what Christians have today. And the apostle there, the writer of Hebrews, is saying we have to go on. We have to mature and develop. We cannot be content with just having a simple, basic understanding of the gospel. That's not adequate. <clears throat> and, of course, that takes time. It takes time to, to spend time in the Word. And I have to, just to say a little bit about my own situation, um, you know, I began to serve the Lord on a full-time basis on November 18, 1997. So as that happens, it's just about exactly, actually a week ago Friday, it was exactly 25 years ago that I began to serve the Lord on a full-time basis. Praise the Lord for that. And that's just an unspeakable blessing to be able to serve the Lord in that way. Not easy sometimes, but it is a real blessing. And that means that I do have much more time to be in the Word and to study these things than um, so many Christians are going to have. So I understand that. You know, I'm, I'm not, nobody, it's un, unusual to have that kind of opportunity. You know, have I redeemed the time? Have I made the best use of time? That's another question. Hopefully I've gotten something, but I'm, I'm conscious also. I know so much time has been lost. You know, in Ephesians 5, 16, the Apostle Paul tells us, redeem the time. He's saying that time is already lost. If you just spend your time in the way the world wants you to spend it, your time is already lost. You have to redeem that time. You have to pay a price to get some time back so you can serve the Lord and so you can be in his word. Now, most people, are, like I say, are not going to have the kind of time that I do, but still I would encourage you, fight for some time to read the Bible. And again, I strongly stress yeah, this habit of reading through the Bible every year one time is such a healthy practice. But maybe once or twice or three times a week, you can take a little time, even just a half hour. Maybe, maybe start with 15 minutes to spend a little time studying the Word a little bit in a more in-depth way. Maybe look at a particular word in the New Testament or in a, how it's used in a particular book of the Bible. Start with something simple. But take a little time to begin to study the Word in a more serious way. As the Lord enables you, because again, I, you know, we all have different situations, so we can't all do, you know, uh, what everybody else does. But hopefully, we can be exhorted this morning to have a little time to fight for a little time to be in the Word in a more serious way, so we can meet the need of this age. Praise the Lord for that. Okay, so now I want to go on, like I say, and uh, affirm some of the basic principles of the gospel. Uh, because these are very, very crucial and important. And you can't understand this question of what will happen to, I'll, I'll use that term ignorant, not in a pejorative sense, but just to say the ignorant who've never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. What happens to them? Uh, to understand that, you have to have a basic understanding of some basic principles of the gospel. And the first principle I want to affirm is that God has to punish sin. God absolutely has to punish sin. He has no other way. You know, the Bible, uh, people like to say there's things that God can do everything and they play these silly word games about what God can and can't do. But the New Testament tells us very clearly there are some things God cannot do. He can't lie. That's in Hebrews. And in 2 Timothy 2.13, it says God cannot deny himself. 
He simply can't do that. He is So he's a holy and righteous God. And so he cannot deny his holiness and his righteousness to forgive our sins. He simply can't do that. He has to punish our sins. Somehow he has to punish our sins. If you ask God to forgive our sins without punishing them, you're not asking him to be merciful. You're asking him to be unrighteous, and he cannot do that. You know, in Islam, they teach God God can just uh, forgive our sins without punishing them because there's no sacrifice for sins in Islam. But as, as Christians in the New Testament, we strongly say, no, a holy and righteous God has to punish sins. There is no other way. Otherwise, he's denying his nature, and he can't do that. And of course, if he didn't punish our sins, there would be no peace in the universe in eternity because this, this evil situations would be unjudged. And so to bring in that perfect peace and perfect harmony, all of our sins have to be fully and completely judged. And that's not a word that people like to hear today. That's not a popular word to say today because of liberalism in the churches uh, and in society in general. There's just this attitude, well, God can just overlook our sins. It's no big deal. He just They take this view. God doesn't have to punish our sins. You know, uh, recently I came across this quote from uh, Richard Niebuhr. I think that's how you say his name, Niebuhr, maybe Niebuhr. Um, I guess he was, uh, he, I think he lived around 1900. Uh, he was, uh, in, uh, basically you would call, I think, a neo-Orthodox teacher of, of the Bible. And I'm not very familiar with his teaching, but he, I, I appreciated this statement. He said, regarding uh, modern liberal theology, he said, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through a Christ without a cross. And it's really so. So you, you, when you tell people today that God has to punish sin, then uh, they, don't like, they just don't want to hear that word. They, they don't like to be... I think most people realize they're sinners. Just about everybody I ask that question to will recognize they're a sinner. I, I was talking with one guy who once... He was from a foreign country, and uh, he might have been. He tried to say he was no, he wasn't a sinful person, and uh, and so I pressed him. I said, "So you're, you're saying you're perfect?" And, uh, and again, I say he was from a foreign country, so he said, eh, "Almost perfect." <laughs> That's about as close as anyone's ever gotten to trying to say, "No, I'm not a sinner." Even he had to admit, "No, I know I'm not perfect." Maybe he was thinking of some particular thing he'd done. He knew, well, that was a sin for sure. Most people are willing to recognize they're sinners, and I, I have to recognize that for sure. The more you go on with the Lord, the more you recognize that. But what they don't want to acknowledge and admit that a holy God has to punish sin, has to judge sin for there to be peace in the universe. So that's the first point that we want to affirm. A holy God has to punish sin. Then the second thing to affirm is that God did punish our sins by laying them upon Jesus Christ on the cross. That's how God has dealt with the problem of our sins. He couldn't just ignore our sins. He couldn't just set them aside. But what he did do, because he loved us, he paid the price himself for our sins by laying our sins upon his son, Jesus Christ. You know, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 24 says, speaking of Christ, it says, who himself bore, our sins, bore up our sins in his own body on the tree. Uh, and there's a remarkable prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53 in the Old Testament about how Christ would, would uh, God laid our sins upon Christ. And I encourage you to read that 
Uh, if you're not familiar with that chapter, it's because it, this was written about 700 years before the birth of Christ. Again, that's Isaiah chapter 53 in the Old Testament. Read that remarkable prophecy about how God would um, lay our sins upon Jesus. Um, Colossians 1.22 says, He reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death. In fact, maybe what I'll do, I'm going to turn to Isaiah 53 and uh, just read some of the key verses in that chapter because it's so striking. And I always remember the first time I heard this. It was just, just blew me away. It says, um, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Then verse 10, It pleased God to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. That's a prophecy, an Old Testament prophecy about the death of Christ and how God laid our sins upon him uh, so that we could be forgiven. Praise the Lord for that. So that's the second strong affirmation that we want to make today. God laid our sins upon Jesus Christ. So the third affirmation is that if there is anybody in the world who has ever had their sins forgiven, it is because Jesus Christ paid the price for those sins. God does not have another way to forgive our sins. And so I want to be clear. If you're ignorant of the gospel, that's one thing. But if you reject the gospel, that's an entirely different matter. Then God doesn't have another way to save you. And yes, I would strongly say, and I would warn you if you're listening to this program, if you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, God does not have another way to save you. You know, um, there's one unique sin, according to Jesus in the New Testament, there's one unique sin that is going to cause people to go to the lake of fire to be damned. And that's in John chapter 16. He's talking to the disciples there. And he says, uh, When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. This is verse 8. And concerning righteousness and concerning judgment. And then in verse 9, he says, He's going to vic convict them concerning sin because they do not believe in me. That's why God convicts us of our sins. He doesn't convict us of our sins, you know, whatever your sin you want to talk about. Uh, the sin of homosexuality, right? A terrible sin for sure, right? Uh, maybe the, the, the sin of adultery, the sin of uh, maybe of murder or theft or lying, cheating, stealing, just speaking evil things. You know, he does convict us about these things, but ultimately he convicts us of our sin because we don't believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God does not have another way to save you because as we said, our sins were laid upon him on the cross. That work that Christ accomplished on the cross was called redemption, the work of redemption. You know, if you, uh, you, you know, maybe you go to a pawn shop, right, and uh, you pawn something, uh, and then you get some money and you want to go get that thing back, uh, you know, radio, whatever. So you, you go take the money to the pawn shop and you give them the money and they have to give that item back to you. That's righteous. You've righteously paid that debt. 
So now you've redeemed that thing back to yourself. Well, that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He accomplished the work of redemption. But the question is, how does that work get applied to us? And the answer is, it gets applied to us when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And then we are justified. That's the normal way for people to have their sins forgiven. By believing in Jesus so that the redemption that he applied on the cross is applied to our debt of sin so that God says we are now justified in his sight. And a good way to remember that word is uh, that some people say, which I like, is it's justified, never sinned. Because the debt's been fully paid. That's, that's what it means to be justified. And so if you haven't yet had that experience, if you haven't opened your heart to the Lord and said, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I just confess I'm a sinner. I just confess I have sinned and I need your blood to cleanse me and wash me from my sin so I can be justified, so I can be righteous before God, so I don't have to worry about going to the lake of fire, about being damned. If you haven't had that kind of opening your heart to the Lord, I just encourage you to do that today because no one else can do that for you. Not your pastor, not your priest, not your parents, not your friends. I can't do it for you. Only you can open your heart to the Lord. And I just urge you, do that this morning. Don't wait. We don't know if we're going to have tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to be here and you don't know if you're going to be here. We don't know if any of us are going to be here. Today is a day of salvation, so open your heart to the Lord. You know, we're dealing, we want to deal in this program with this question of uh, the ignorant who haven't heard the gospel. But that doesn't apply to you. You have heard the gospel. And, and living in this country, hopefully this isn't the first time. Hopefully you've heard it a number of times. So you've heard the gospel. So that question of, you know, how God is going to deal with the ignorant does not apply to you. You're responsible now. You've heard the gospel. Open your heart to the Lord. Believe in Jesus and be saved this morning for eternity. Now and for eternity, praise the Lord. Because Jesus is um, the only way of salvation. Okay, so that deals with these these affirmations that I want, wanted to make. And uh, before we go on to deal with this question that we've been talking about, about the ignorant and how God will deal with them, so that's enough for this segment. And uh, in the next segment, that's when we'll go on and begin to deal specifically with that question. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge, both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen.
Okay, welcome back to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. And now, now we want to deal specifically with this question, as we've said, of what will happen to those who never have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because some people say, based on these principles that we've laid out before, that that means if you don't believe in Jesus, then you have to go to the lake of fire, even if you never hear them, have the opportunity, because we're all sinners uh, and uh, we certainly deserve God's judgment. So if, if Jesus is the only way of salvation and you never heard of that, then, then you have to be uh, damned. You have to go to the lake of fire. Well, I would say strongly, I cannot find a verse in the New Testament that supports that teaching. I cannot find any such verse. And I want to say this too. I, I know many Christians may have a different view on this matter. So if you feel there is a verse, please uh, you know, share it with us. Uh, maybe send us an email. Um, in fact, I didn't... Uh, well, it's, it's notes at thechristianfaith.org. I didn't give that out earlier. That's, that's our, our website is thechristianfaith.org. And you can... Uh, send us an email at notes at thechristianfaith.org. And I would say especially if you feel that's not right, if you feel there are verses in the New Testament that support that teaching, please uh, let me know. And uh, if not this week, then maybe next week we can try to uh, deal with those. But I can't. I cannot find such a verse in the New Testament that indicates that if you don't believe in Jesus and you never had the opportunity even to believe in him, then you're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. The closest maybe. Uh, it would be John uh, 3.18, and that, which says that uh, he, he's talking about Jesus coming into the world, and it says, he who does not believe is condemned already. But the context there, when you look at that in John chapter 1, it's, it's indicating that these are those who've had the opportunity to hear the gospel. Um, again, it's John chapter 3, uh, verse 18. You have to turn to that verse. It says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, the, if you just look at that verse, he who does not believe is condemned already, you could support that teaching that way. But in the context there, it's the, it's, the contrast is between those who do believe and those who don't believe. So, in other words, you have the opportunity to believe in Jesus as your Savior, and you rejected that. And yes, again, I would strongly say, according to this verse, if you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's when you're going to be condemned. But it still does not deal with the question of, what about those who never heard? And so, as I say, I simply can't find a verse in the Bible that supports that teaching. You know, as we say, Jesus Christ, he accomplished redemption on the cross. But the question is, how does that redemption get applied to our account? Now, it's right, and certainly in the New Testament, the normal way is we hear the gospel, we hear the word of God, and we open our heart and we say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, forgive my sins, as we said before. That's what, and then you're justified. That's how that gets applied to your account. But are there other ways that that payment can be applied to your account? That's the question. You know, consider the case of the tax collector. This is in um, Luke 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 13 and 14. Uh, he went up to the temple to pray, and of course, he, it's the Pharisee and the tax collector go up to pray, and the Pharisee just basically declares to God that he's righteous, he doesn't need forgiveness. 
Oh, Lord, save us. That's one of the hardest things for God to deal with is our self-righteousness. Uh, but the tax collector didn't do that. He just he wouldn't even look up. He stood at a distance and he's beating his breast. And all he does is he cries out to God, Oh, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Have you ever cried out to God like that? I'd ask, first of all, have you ever cried out? I don't know, you know what your relationship is with Christ, if you're saved or not, if you've believed in him. Can you cry out like that sinner did, like that tax collector did? Oh, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Because I'm pretty sure, like I say, you're going to have a, agree with me that just like me, you're a sinner too. We're all sinners, right? We all recognize that. And if that's where you're at, then I encourage you to pray that prayer that the, that the sinner prayed in the temple. He, he just cried out to God, Oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He didn't offer, you know, in the Old Testament, you offer up sacrifices to God. It says, here you have to offer these sacrifices. You sin, you have to offer up a sacrifice. That's how you, you get forgiven. In the New Testament, we say strongly, the way you have your sins forgiven is by believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But this publican, he didn't offer up a sacrifice in the Old Testament, and he didn't believe in Jesus either. He didn't do either of those things. But you know what Jesus said about him? He said, this man was justified. This man went to his house justified. His sins were forgiven. In other words, that redemptive, the payment for his sins, which Jesus was going to make soon after this, that payment was applied to his account and God said, you are justified. Praise the Lord for that. So that's a strong example you know, so what do you do if you if you if you say you have to believe in Jesus to have your sins forgiven? What do you do with this this tax collector? Again, that's in Luke chapter eighteen, uh, verses thirteen and fourteen, because Jesus said he was justified, and maybe some Christians would say no, he's not justified because he didn't you know, pray the sinner's prayer, right? But Jesus said he was justified, so I'm going to go with Jesus on that one. He said he was justified, so how can that possibly be? How can that possibly be? Since he didn't specifically believe in Jesus as a savior. Well, to answer that question, you have to understand that there are three basic gospels in the New Testament. And we're not going to have the time to really develop this too much this morning, but we do want to point out the principle of the three different gospels. And so that's when you can understand how this uh, tax collector got justified. Uh, my understanding, at least. And again, if others feel differently, please let us know. We'd like to hear from you and see what your thoughts are on this. Because it's a, it's not, you know, I, I wish I could tell you there's a very straightforward way and the, the New Testament deals with that. But often you have to put things together. And uh, I think we're putting them together in the right way this morning. But, you know, maybe not everything is exactly clear. So if you have some different thoughts, let us know. We'd like to hear from you. And it may be a somewhat controversial topic with some Christians. But you have to understand these, these three different Gospels in the New Testament to answer this question. The first Gospel it's in, is in Matthew 24, 14. And that's when Jesus is talking about the end times with his disciples just before he was crucified. And he says, uh, Matthew 24, 14, he says, This Gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, of course, the Gospel of Matthew is a gospel on the kingdom, if you know a little bit about the New Testament. It really stresses the heavenly ruling of Christ. And what he's saying here is that the gospel of the kingdom has to be preached in all the world before the end will come. 
Now, that's the understanding that the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, is to bring us under the heavenly ruling so that Christ can have his kingdom on the earth today. You know, one reason why this uh, question about the ignorant and how they'll be dealt with causes us such a problem is that as believers in Christ, we have... Uh, of, we come to the New Testament in a way that, frankly, that's different from what God intend, intended. We come to it from the standpoint of man's need. And we see people are going to, they're dying in their sins. That means they're going to the lake of fire. We don't want them to go to hell. So we preach the gospel so they won't go to hell. Our concern, in other words, our concern is that people are dying without Christ. But that's not the primary concern in the New Testament. It is a concern. But the primary concern in the New Testament is not that people are dying without Christ. The primary concern in the New Testament is that people are living without Christ. Because the concern in the New Testament is to establish God's kingdom on the earth by the gospel of the kingdom going out, as he says at the end, as the Lord says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, making disciples of all nations, not just believers. Yes, I believe in Jesus, my sins are forgiven, but disciples those who are really followers of Christ, really give themselves to Christ so he can have his kingdom on the earth today. And that's the gospel. It's not just the gospel in a general way. It's the gospel of the kingdom that has to go to all the earth before the end will come. And I will say, it wasn't really until the 1800s that this gospel of the kingdom really began to, under, to be understood in a clearer way. And I'm not saying it wasn't on the earth before then, but the understanding really began to come about in the 1800s don't have time to get into that. But the fact that this gospel is being preached today much more clearly than ever before is another strong indication that the end is coming because it, this gospel is beginning to be preached in a wider way on the earth today. So praise the Lord for that. But that's, this is the first gospel in the New Testament. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And it, it shows us all the requirements that the Lord has for us to enter into his heavenly kingdom. The second gospel in the New Testament is the gospel of the grace of God. And that's in Acts chapter uh, 20. Yeah, that's Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Right, Paul here is speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. And he, he tells them, um, he, he knows he's being threatened in every city, but he, and he tells them, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So that's another aspect of the gospel, is the gospel of the grace of God. Now, we would strongly say the gospel of the kingdom includes the gospel of the grace of God. The way we enter into the kingdom is through the grace of God. And the gospel of grace stresses, it stresses God's forgiveness, his mercy, uh, his salvation, by faith in Christ. And it's when we open our heart to receive the Lord this way, to be saved by, by grace through faith, that we our sins are forgiven and we're cleansed. The gospel of the kingdom stresses the requirements God has on the believers to live a life that he is going to approve of. That's the gospel of the kingdom. So these two gospels, they go together, and those gospels are for the believers. Praise the Lord for that. And as I say, we don't really have time to develop that too much, but it's Maybe, maybe it certainly would be worth another program. But there's a third gospel in the New Testament as well. And this gospel is not for the believers in Christ. This is really a gospel for the Gentiles. 
And this gospel is found in Revelation chapter 14. And it's called the eternal gospel. Now listen to what, uh, what this uh, gospel says. This gospel says, uh, Revelation chapter 14 is basically, it's a thumbnail sketch of the New Test of the, the Great Tribulation, rather. Um, and we won't get into all the events. But one of the events, it tells us there's going to be an angel flying in heaven, um, preaching the eternal gospel. And this is Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having, an ever, having the eternal gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. So this gospel is preached to those who dwell on the earth. It specifically says that. In other words, if you're a person who is, your lot is to be one dwelling on the earth, this gospel is for you. You know, as the believers in Christ, we're a heavenly people. We're not those who dwell on the earth. And in, in Revelation, if you look up this term, those who dwell on the earth, it's a very negative term. It's not a positive term. They're very often, they're, they're under God's judgment. But there is still a gospel for them. This gospel does not save you from being one who dwells on the earth, but it does save you from God's judgment. And so what are the contents of this gospel? You fear God and give him glory. That's the first principle. Um, and the second principle is you worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. So in this gospel, there's nothing about repent and believe in Jesus Christ. There's nothing about... Um, Open your heart and receive the Lord as your Savior. So this gospel during the tribulation will be preached to those who are on the earth to keep them from worshiping the Antichrist at that time. And it's a, a warning to them. And then later there's more warnings in Revelation chapter 14 about what happens if you do worship the Antichrist. But this is the gospel that will save those people at that time. It's not a gospel about believing in Jesus. It's a gospel about worshiping God and fearing him. And that is, it's specifically mentioned here in relation to the Great Tribulation. But the principle of the eternal gospel, because it is an eternal gospel, applies to all nations everywhere. And I would say, and I'm putting pieces of a puzzle here together, I admit that, but I would say that's why that uh, tax collector could be justified, even though he never believed in Jesus, because in a very real sense, he for... Um, uh, feared God, and he gave him glory, and he worshipped him because he knew he made the heavens and the earth. And if that's the case with that tax collector, it certainly seems to me it should be the case with anyone who's ever prayed that kind of prayer in a genuine way. They just cry out to God. They never heard the gospel. They've never heard of Jesus, but they look at the heavens. They look at the earth, you know, uh, and we're told that we know God by his creation. And so they look at that creation and in a very general sense, they know God. If they cry out in this way, I have the full assurance their sins will be forgiven. Now that's different from the experience we have by believing in Christ because there's two aspects that happen to us when we believe in Christ. On the one hand, our sins are forgiven, but there's also a positive aspect that we are regenerated. We're born again with the divine life. 
Uh, and so it, I'm not saying that those who pray this kind of prayer are going to have that experience of being born again, but they will have the experience of having their sins forgiven. And that's that's in a general way, uh, the way I would understand, the way I would deal with this question of what happens to those who've never had the opportunity to believe in Jesus as their Savior. And I, I, I wish we had more time to develop that, but we, um, uh, I, I think I've said enough for now at least. Uh, so what we want to do now is we want to bring on um, dear brother Joe Pope uh, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and talk with him about these things. And like I say, I'm not, uh, I don't, in my own mind, I haven't filled in all the gaps on my understanding of this, but I think that's a basic understanding, and that's that's uh, what I would have to say right now. So let's bring on brother Joe and uh, talk about this a little bit. Joe, are you there? I am, Dave. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, you sound pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Joe, for joining us, and I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, good. Thank in, you. in Pittsburgh, right? Were you there? You said you're. That's right. Okay. Great. Okay. Good for you. And uh, yeah, so you've been listening, and uh, uh, I, uh, Joe, I would like to begin by saying, if you have any comments or questions, and this is a topic, you know, I'm not exactly sure where you're at on this topic. So, but if you have any comments about the things you've already shared, please, uh, please go ahead and uh, fellowship yeah, with us. It, it, when you bring this uh, question up, can you be, I guess, can you, will you go to hell if you don't receive Christ? Okay. And um, <clears throat> my first response is, um, you know, is without salvation, without Christ, you know, there's there's no hope. You, you quoted John 16, right? Uh, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, of sin because they believe not into me. And I, I told you this illustration one time. I got a gospel track that said, How to Go to Hell. And then I opened the track, and it was blank. When I turned to the back page, it said in small print, Do Nothing. Really so, Joe. Yeah, that's right. It's a very, a very powerful gospel. gospel. Yeah, when you talk about the gospel of grace, you know, uh, and, and you, I, I was looking at Psalm 19, right, where Psalm 19 the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, it utters speech, night unto night reveals there's no there's a language where their voice is not heard. And he goes on to say, basically the psalmist is saying the whole creation is testifying, is speaking the presence of God. And you compare that with um, Romans chapter 1. Where you talk about righteousness, right? <clears throat> the righteousness is revealed yeah. from faith to faith, right? He said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress truth and unrighteousness, because what they may know of God is manifested to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made eternal power and Godhead, and this is the part I underlined, so that they are without excuse. So what Paul is saying, you know, even if you didn't hear <clears throat> the gospel of Christ, you know, the whole universe, the whole creation is testifying of God's glory. I remember my dad saying when after he visited Alaska, he just said, the whole creation there just speaks of God, mm. I'm paraphrasing what he said. So then Paul says, if they don't believe, you know, they are used. You know, the Lord told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And uh, in Mark 16, 16, right, um, 
for they be baptized if he does shall be condemned. And um, you, I think you quoted John 3.18, he who does not right. believe has been condemned already. You must be born again. The word goes on and on and on. But the key thing, the, the key word that stands out to me is faith. For without faith, Paul says in Hebrews, or the, the writer, rather, of Hebrews says, without faith it's impossible to be well-pleasing to him, because he who believes must. Let me read it here, sir. He... Who, who believes he who comes forward him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? There, there you go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then he defines faith, right? In verse 1, faith is the substantiating of things, not seeing the conviction. Or substantiating things hoped for, seeing, that's a different, there are different translations of that. So faith is the key to me, the key issue. Without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to God. And so, okay, but then you mentioned these other instances, you know, these other situations, and there are two schools. There's a school of inclusivism, where people feel, you, you quoted the, the, or cited the incident where the man, you know... The publican, uh, yeah, tax collector. Yeah, and then there's exclusivism, that unless you be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God, you know. At any rate, so it's... Um, it's, it's, it's not that easy to tease these things out, but when you, but, but, you know, you do wonder. I think my first, to be honest, you know, the, the Lord says, go and and disciple the nations. You know, go and and preach the gospel to the whole inhabited earth. So in a sense, you think, you know, is it possible that, that some didn't hear the gospel? And yeah, when you really think about it, sure, you know. But I do believe there. You know, the, the, there are those that maybe didn't hear the name Jesus, but realized through the creation that there is a God, and they believed in him. Again, faith, right? Right, that's yeah. the key. That, that, that's the gospel, that kind of gospel, the response, proper response to that kind of gospel is to fear God and give him glory, like the, the eternal gospel mm-hmm. says. Mm-hmm. So that's, and I was, thinking, I was thinking about this verse in Romans 2, right? For when the Gentiles who do not have any law by nature, do the things of the law of these, mm-hmm. these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the yeah. law written in their hearts. Right. Okay, now, whether that applies to this or not, I'm not sure, but I think, you know, I think of like the Native Americans, uh, you know, you hear stories how they believe in, in, in the, the white spirit, they believed that there was a God, they believed just through the creation mm-hmm. there was a creator. And when you take that into account, again, the word is, you know, I think... That that's the faith that's necessary. Yes. Uh, that's the faith that's necessary. Now, to be clear, and, and this is the way I want to be clear about what I'm saying, Joe, that that kind of faith will not bring someone into the kingdom of God. That right. we're only talking about justification, how my sins can be forgiven. Because, like the verse you quoted in John chapter three, if you're not born again, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about that. We're just trying to deal very specifically with this question of how they can have their sins forgiven, which is a separate matter, because there's two aspects to the new birth in Christ. When you believe in Christ, negatively, your sins are forgiven. Positively, you receive the divine life. Uh, and, and so the kind of faith, and, and you know, I don't know if you can be definite about this, but the kind of faith that uh, we're talking about, it probably does not result in regeneration. It simply means that you... Uh, have your sins forgiven, you won't be condemned. If you respond to this uh, 
eternal gospel, like the, the gospel of, of looking at the creation. If you respond to that in a healthy, proper way, your sins will be forgiven, but you won't have the highest blessing of receiving eternal life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and well, I read something here that uh, I'm not so sure about if your sins will be forgiven, meaning, uh, you know, without having the, the faith, without, without realizing the redemption of Christ. Um, you know, the wages of sin is death. You know, all have sinned and come short. God. Glory God. I read someplace where a brother said, it's not necessarily just your unbelief that may condemn you, but it's your sin that has never been dealt with. Because you, you made a good point. You know, God is righteous. Yeah. And he can't, you know, he can't uh, what, invalidate the, you know, his, his own righteousness. You know, it's, uh, it's out of faith to faith. So God bound himself by his own righteousness. And he's bound to save us if we believe. He's bound to condemn us if we don't believe. You know, he has he's, yeah. he's limited himself to his own his own regulation, his own rule, his own righteousness. He can't deny. He can't deny himself, really. So. Yeah, exactly. But when you look at eternal gospel, and that's another gospel you met, the angel comes in Revelation during <clears throat> during the tribulation and tells people to believe in God, give glory to God, or fear God rather. Give glory to God. You know, and then you look at the judgment, the judgment seat, where the Lord will judge them according to their works, according to their works. And there's, of course, then there's the, the resurrection of, uh, unto life, and then there's resurrection unto condemnation. You know, the, the, the resurrection unto condemnation is, is Revelation 20, right? And, yes. and so these, these, <laughs> these are all interesting judgments there, you know, where the Lord, where in Matthew will, will separate the, the sheep from the goats, and those who get a cup of water, or those who close yes. to those who, you, you know, to, yes. to God, to the right. of, of, of his children, God will justify. So, really interesting, Dave. I, I It's really interesting to me. It's yeah, well, like I said, it's, it's, we're putting pieces of a puzzle together here, Um and sometimes it's studying the Bible. That's what you have to do. You know, even even Revelation 20, Job, Pember pointed this out. And I think I'd always kind of felt this way. But he, uh, uh, and as I said, this is a, a brother as I've been helped with by very much in the last few years. Uh, mm-hmm. Revelation 20, verse 21, they're all gathered. Well, Revelation 20, they're, they're gathered before the great white throne. Verse 15 says, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Well, just reading that verse, that indicates there's people there who are not going to be cast into the lake of fire. So, and I, that's why I've always read that verse. So I was, but because we talk, we often call this the resurrection of damnation. You, you may feel no one can be saved out of um, judgment at that point. But based on that verse, the way I read it, it certainly sounds like there are some there who will be saved from eternal judgment, from damnation. And you so, know, Dave, I think about this. Yeah. Sorry, you're right. Go ahead. Yeah. This verse in Matthew 10, he mentioned 10, 15, and 11, 24, where Jesus talking to the Pharisees, it says it would be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's it's an amazing statement, them. yeah. Or for those who, or for those who don't receive the gospel. So. Wait a minute, I'm thinking, well, Sodom and Gomorrah, didn't they get commend and they're, they're condemned, rather, didn't, uh, were they consumed by fire? So it kind of opens a question, you know, does that mean they weren't fully sent to, to, to hell, to like a fire was, it would be more tolerable? I, I, I don't, I don't read it that, I would say no, I, for sure I would say they're, they're condemned, but they're, 
it's an amazing statement because he's saying that the ones who rejected Jesus were guilty of a, a worse sin than even the sin of Sodom, which is a very sober word. You know, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. So, but I mean, does that mean there was something less than hell for Sodom and Gomorrah? I, I don't know. So, see what I mean? So, it, these kind of questions are really good because it makes you really research and and, and open in prayer to God. Yeah. God, what does this mean? Let me let me. Right. God, you know, I love it. Yeah, I, amen, Joe. Yeah, no, it is good to, to consider this and even raise these questions. And uh, and like I say, if you're listening to the podcast or the radio program and you, you want to join in the discussion, send us an email at notes at thechristianfaith.org. We'd, lo- we'd love to hear from you because these are these are real questions. But, uh, I, you know, I'm confident to say that, no, you won't automatically be judged if you never have the opportunity to hear the gospel. There's another mm-hmm. basis for God judging you. But some of the details... Uh, are har- a little harder to fill in. Now, I did want to talk a little bit, to, uh, Joe, because about this judgment of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. Mm-hmm. We just have a few minutes left here. Um, but uh, this is a topic that would come up uh, when you consider this question, because that's when Jesus, it's a pretty famous story. Uh, he says when the Son of Man comes, he's going to gather the sheep on his right hand, the goats on the left hand. And if people treated his people well, then they 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 go into life, and if they treated them badly, then they uh, then they go into the fire. And it, it's interesting what he says about where they go. He says uh, he says in Matthew twenty five verse thirty four. Then the king will say to those in his right hand, "Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world." And then in verse uh, uh, forty six, it says, "The the damned will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So, uh, and saying, these ones who are justified because they treated God's people well go into eternal life. It does not say they receive eternal life into themselves, but they enter into a realm of outward blessing, a realm of life. And that's because they uh, obeyed the eternal gospel, specifically during the Great Tribulation, because this, this judgment will take place, of the sheep and the goats will take place when the Lord returns. And some people feel, well, I can... Uh, be justified uh, just by taking care of, of other people. Well, you know, there may be so- something in that, but I would still say if you have the opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you reject that opportunity, no, no, then then this gospel is not available to you. The eternal gospel is for those who don't have the opportunity to believe in Christ. That's when you can maybe be a uh, justified in this judgment and enter into life, but you'll never have the highest blessing of receiving the eternal life. Anyway, sorry. Joe, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I just want to add one word. You know, sure. to believe, I always believed there was a God as a, uh, a good religious person. I didn't know to believe really means to receive. You know, yes. John 1 12, yeah. he makes it very clear. Right. To, you know, to those who believe, those who receive, he gave you uh, authority to become sons of God, those who, who believe. And so he puts believing with receiving. So he defines believing as one day you receive Christ yes. into your heart. And I like what you said. It's one thing to enter into eternal life. It's another thing when eternal life enters into you. Right. And that's, that's a difference. And that's a difference we're studying. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the key points we're saying about the eternal gospel is it it does seem you do not receive eternal life by that gospel. You only right. receive eternal life by the gospel of grace but you're right. saved from God's judgment by the eternal gospel. It's a lesser salvation, 
but it is it does answer this question of what happens to those people who never have the right. opportunity to hear the gospel. Joe, right. we just have time, maybe twenty seconds for a closing word. If you have anything else you want to add, no, I just want to. It just makes me think during the millennial one thousand year reign with Christ on this earth, maybe those who uh, you defined in, in Matthew twenty five will be the citizens of the, of the yes. kingdom. I, I don't know. It it's really makes me, makes well, me consider who was the citizen. Well, that's that's another point Yeah, we need to make. Thanks, Joe, that there will be the nations in eternity. It says the new, of the uh, nations, they will walk by the light of the new Jerusalem. So you do have the saved, regenerated people uh, in eternity, but you also have the nations, and that probably does refer to these unregenerated people who did have their sins forgiven. So thanks, Joe, for mentioning that. And yeah, that no. That's all we really have time for today, but uh, a good point, Joe. Thanks for bringing that up. Thanks, Joe, for being with us, and we'll, sure. we'll touch base with you soon. And uh, to all those uh, who are listening to the program, thank you for being with us, and we hope, by the Lord's mercy, to be with you again next week. Bye-bye. been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.